with lots of help from Karen Mulford, Marilyn Ryan, Paul Anderson, and other hosts. It all happens every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. We look forward to seeing you every Thursday. Support for WERU comes from our listeners, volunteers, business supporters, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. To find out what you can do to support community radio, go to WERU.org. Thanks. What a great idea. WERU.org. For more information about what you're listening to right now and what events are happening in the future and today on the community calendar, all sorts of reasons to get involved and be active. Get out there and enjoy the day. 12 degrees here in East Orland at WERU. We're going to have a high of 17, a low of 2 tonight, high of 20. Uh, it looks like 20, yeah, 20 degrees tomorrow on Friday and a low of 16 Friday night. Stay tuned for Let's Talk Animals with Dr. John Hunt. Good morning. This is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host. We are starting our third year, Let's Talk Animals. Uh, we finished up two years. I'm very excited about some of the things we're going to be talking about this year. Uh, not only Bird's Acre today, but next month, uh, a show about the endangered bubble, bumblebee, uh, dog bite prevention another month, uh, even maybe lemurs in Madagascar. I got a connection there. Backyard farming, um, exotic animals, lots lots of things I have lined up. Uh, so stay tuned all year. Uh, today, uh, I have my guest is from the Stanwood Wildlife Sanctuary. Everyone knows that as Bird's Acre, Mr. Grayson Richmond. Good morning, Grayson. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. I want to start with a little story. Um, last winter, uh, we found a little uh, pine siskin in our backyard by our feeder that was injured, and we took it in and. Being a veterinarian, I had the legal right <laughs> to uh, rehab it. So I, I got it back to reasonable health, but it was still injured. And we wanted to – we had to go on a trip. So we um, we called Birdsacre, which is always the go-to for me uh, over the years. And it's probably you, Grayson, that probably answered the phone and uh, made an appointment. It was during winter hours, so you just come when you're needed. And you met – you or someone met my wife with uh, – we call him Frankie P. <laughs> Frankie P. for uh, Pine Siskin. So Frankie P. went over to Bird's Acre and was assured that if he could be um, recovered completely, he would fly away. If not, you'd keep him until he's a ripe old age. Yes. So, uh, I think that's one story that I have. I have many other stories with uh, Stan uh, Richmond, the, the former um, curator, I guess you call him. He's your father. Yes. Stan and I had been working together many years ago. He used to bring a lot of the wildlife animals. Cause a lot of re- he was doing a lot more rehab back then than, than now. Uh, so it's really neat to see you, his son here, uh, talking to us. So I want to remind my, um, my listeners that we are live, 207-469-0500. That's 207-469-0500. 0500. If you want to share any uh, Birdsacre stories 
uh, you've had, any experiences or any questions you may have as we get along in talking. This is kind of an animal history uh, show because Birdsacre, the wildlife sanctuary, is not only a, a place where animals are taken care of, but has it's rich in, in history, uh, especially the, um, the original person who lived at the homestead, uh, Cordelia Stanwood. So first of all, uh, Grayson, I want you to share with our listeners how you got here from there. Well, I, I started off by saying that I, I was born. <laughs> well, you only have an hour, so, <laughs> so let's just fast forward. Well, the, the most of my early memories were at the sanctuary. I, I think uh, I may have attended my first trustee meeting directly out of the hospital. Uh, so I've been around for a long time seeing the decades of the sanctuary. Of course, uh, as, as you grow, you leave, and you come back if you're lucky. And I had the privilege of being able to get back to work at the sanctuary and uh, take part in all the things that we do there. Did you go? Did you go away to school? Uh, yes, I, I went to uh, Clark University and uh, studied Victorian literature, uh. which was somewhat helpful uh, with Cordelia Stanwood and her uh-huh. Victorian past. There was a little bit of a eye opening there. <clears throat> do you think that your major was influenced by your? By your uh, youth being involved with the sanctuary? Yes. The uh, Victorian period is very interesting, and uh, it, it's something that's disappearing the uh, remnants of around our area. So Cordy's house became a, you know, a focal point, uh, something that those old houses and barns are disappearing left and right. And when we had the fire there years ago, it was very upsetting because you could easily see that house disappearing. It sort of blends into the landscape at this point, but with it disappearing, you would lose such a vital part of our history. So uh, right after college, you came back home? Yes. Uh, And I wanted to do something outside, and uh, one thing led to another. I'd always been at the sanctuary and started helping out, and uh, sort of you just get deeper and deeper into it and enjoy it more and more. It's like Darth Vader saying, it's it's your destiny. (laughs) Very good. Very good. I'm glad to have you here. Um, So let's talk – first of all, I talked about Frankie P. I hope people will call in about their experiences. Um, We'll kind of jump – I'm going to jump around a little bit. Uh, I would like to talk a little bit about the rehab. Uh, On your website, uh, you had excellent, really good guidelines as to what to do when you find a wild animal. You know, leave it alone, wait, mm-hmm. put it near the nest, all those things. A human touch doesn't influence because birds can't smell, except for vul- vultures can smell, but <laughs> besides that. Uh, so those are excellent. So if, if any of you listeners need a review on what to do when you find a uh, an orphan or injured animal, uh, look on this site, the Birdsacre site, and there's a little s- section you can click on and it tells you. But then you do have – you used to or still do have animals that come – into the sanctuary for rehab? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Well, uh, I like to feel that we're part of a network. And you can, if you find an injured bird or if you find an orphan, the best thing to do with an orphan is obviously to put it back and wait and see if the parents are there. If the parents are there and the bird's healthy, you know, let nature take its course. Uh, Of course, we have big hearts, and so that can be difficult sometimes to just trust. And we don't have time to sit there and watch to see if the parents are there. In our presence does cause the parents to be cautious and not come close. So there's a little bit of conflict there. 
Uh, but if you do find a, a bird and you feel like you need some help, uh, you can check the Maine Inland Fisheries Wildlife page, and that gives you a list of rehabilitators near you. Uh, so we're geographically serving a niche. Uh, if you call from Bar Harbor, we might say that uh, Ann Rivers, located in Town Hill, would be a geographical uh, easier destination to reach. Uh, there is Avian Haven, and th- there's a whole network of people. But if you're if we're the closest, come to us. Uh, we're we're glad to be able to help in any way that we can. Are you a licensed rehab? Yes, you have to you have to be uh, licensed. Have to be licensed, and for birds, it's a double license. You have to be state and federally approved. Oh, okay, uh, and. What does that entail, being a license? Hey, uh, we're kind of going to kind of go off on – but this is what Bird's Acre has been known for is taking in animals. So what does it take to be a licensed rehab? Just remember to my listeners is that when you do find a wild animal, you can't you – can, you can try to rehab, but it's against the law. But also you may not know all the right things, and a licensed rehab does. So what kind of uh, – kind of – things that you have to do to become licensed? Uh, well, you could look on the Maine Inland Fisheries Wildlife page uh, for uh, criteria to be a rehabilitator, but you have to pass a test. You have to uh, study and learn about the birds or mammals you care want to care for uh, and take courses, uh, do workshops. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went out to Minnesota to the Raptor Center and oh. did a week-long uh, course there, which was you know, they're the, one of the top facilities, uh, so it was just amazing. You get blown away by, you know, the, the science that uh, it's sort of like going to Camelot because you see things that you're not financially capable of doing, and uh, they have such a huge network. But th- there's a lot to do. But when it ba- boils down, uh, it's very basic. Uh, you need to have a lot of time. You need to have the right uh, food and care uh and, and be able to advise people. We, you know, one of the biggest troubles that we have is to uh, stop people, slow them down from bringing something in. Uh, they may say that there are lots of cats in my neighborhood and this little bird won't make it. Well, are there blue jays, crows, weasels? Uh, if the parents are there, we want to keep them with nature. And I remember that last summer someone had called in and suggested that, well, they had found a, a little barred owl on the road. Luckily, it was a dirt camp road. It was still active, though. And so the, I, I suggested, well, are the parents there? Well, we, we don't see any parents. Well, you know, parents do hide. Uh, could you take the – does the bird look hurt? Uh, basic, you know, looking at something, are, are the wings symmetrical? Do you see blood? Do you see, you know, some misalignment with the legs? Is that on a side? Is, is, it is he yeah. uh, Does he look despondent or lethargic? Yeah. Uh, if he's bright-eyed? You know, that baby didn't come from nowhere. Right. Uh, so I try to encourage them to put it back up in a tree and wait. Uh, and li- but leave? Back away. Yeah, you have to back away because the parents are watching you. Yes. Uh, occasionally you'll get into, you know, a very possessive uh, parent. And with owls, the, the mother may be a little more aggressive than the father. Uh, so, you know, he may kind of and, hoot and snap at you. But the, the female who's protecting the babies as a last resort will come down to discourage you or, or mm-hmm. drive you away. Uh, I ended up, and I try not to leave Bird's Acre while I'm there because if I did, I would never be there. But I, I, it was late in the day, so I ended up driving out and uh, the found the owl sitting on the road. They were protecting him. Went over, picked him up with my glove, walked him into the woods, put him on a tree branch. He scrambled up. 
I made a couple terrible barred owl calls, <laughs> uh, got no response, kept looking, and, and finally I saw one adult. Uh, like uh, 10 minutes later, five minutes, a half hour? Uh, about five minutes. He wasn't very far away, just okay. sitting there calmly watching. As much. And looked around again, and, and you know they blend in so well, but I finally found the other uh, parent. And then a few minutes later, I could hear the sibling higher up uh, chittering for food. Ah. And it, the owl was large enough so that he was getting ready to fledge and leave the nest. Uh, and that's another part where, you know, though they may leave the nest, they can't fly and it, for a couple of days. They're going to. So uh, they're really healthy. They're healthy. They just, they're, they're doing their they're thing. They're not where we think they should be. Yes. Yeah, so we think they need help. Right. Because uh, right. they can't fly. Yeah. So they get scooped up. Uh, so it's slowing that process down and just trying to evaluate things. Uh, of course, you know, window strikes are the same sort of thing when a bird hits a window. Yes. Uh, it looks like they're dead. Yeah. And they're just knocked out like uh, Gronkowski. And <laughs> <laughs> the football is knocked out. And they get up after a while and kind of wander off. Yep. Uh, so that, that's a very common thing. People automatically think that they need to call you. Yes. And you just have to leave them alone for a couple minutes. It could take half an hour. It could take an hour. It could take 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's they may get brought into us and they'll percolate up in the box or you know the next day we release them. Yeah. Uh, you know, something you can do for window strikes is look for uh, window webs, which are ultraviolet stickers that you could put on your window. Birds can see them. We don't pick up the ultraviolet. No, yeah. I didn't. So, so I know some people put just tape. On tape the windows, works, but you can't see out the window. Yeah, just looking yeah. through this mirage of. So, inf- where would you get something like that? Uh, you can find it online, like yeah, anything. That's right. Everything's <laughs> online. That's right. We're, <laughs> I got to get back in the twenty first century. <laughs> So it's infrared tape that does that we can't see, but the birds can. Yes, that is. I never knew that. That's outstanding. So that's one real common cause you get is uh, window strike. Um, sometimes you just can't avoid it because you're on a porch with, let's say, two sides of windows, and they're looking, yeah, from one end, and they think they can get to the other end. Uh, having your bird feeders uh, a little distance away from the windows as well allows the bird, if he's going to take off fast. To have a chance not to go straight into the window. Ah, okay. Uh, so keep them away. Keep your feeders a little bit back. Because there's some feeders that are stuck right in the window. That's fine too, because you know the bird should be aware of the they surface. Can, okay, so they can see it. Because I've never had a, a bird strike with a window feeder. Usually, it's kind of random. All of a sudden, you're reading and on the porch. All of a sudden, boom! <laughs> oh, yeah, poor Frankie P. <laughs> <laughs> It's sad. So what's another common uh, call you get besides the window strikes? Uh, all sorts of calls. Uh, sometimes there will actually be a, an injury or car accidents. Uh, things seem to happen around holidays or when we get home because that's when we're there to see something. And uh, one Labor Day there was a lady who came in and she had witnessed a Canada goose trying to fly across the road and got hit. And, you know, it looked terrible. Uh, respiratory issues, uh, blood on the face, wings were banged up, uh, and it recovered. It, it ended up losing an eye, but, uh, you know, you, you just try to mitigate as best you can. You know, we're not sophisticated enough to do operations on site, so we're, we're just right. sort of triaging, and, and then we contact our vet uh, for the you know, critical, more complicated stuff. Right, right. Yes, as your dad used to come to me once in a while. We need help. Uh, <laughs> and it's hard because a lot of, a lot of us, our training in wildlife uh, medicine is, is minimal. 
but and we and I never charged, so it's not a, a it's nice, it's not, not economic thing, but it's also experience. You do we do the best we can. Yes, I think we're all trying to do the best we can. We learn from what we do. So I've had some. I had a great blue heron mm. come in. Of course, I knew to tape the mouth and. <laughs> kind of poking your eye out because that's what they do. So there's little enough knowledge for safety because that's what I worry about with people. They could approach some something like a heron, and they wouldn't realize that they'll strike out at you at your face. And yes, it'd be uh, very painful and dangerous. Yeah, you have to assess. You know, obviously a songbird's not going to hurt you. Uh, it could bite you. Yeah, uh, they ha- do have a good good grip. But uh, when you're looking at something like a raptor. Or a heron who has the capability of stretching that neck out and he's got a great uh, lance with his beak. Even if he's injured, that doesn't mean he's incapacitated. Right. I had a – so you want to approach, if you have to, with a bird that's down and unable to move, uh, usually coming from behind and moving very slowly so that they don't feel they're being attacked you can throw a towel or a blanket That's over usually it. what I tell people is if you can throw a towel over, mm-hmm. especially a bird, they usually – you got them. Yeah. They usually quiet down. They go docile and, and yeah. you, you can bring your hands down around the body and, and get a hold of the feet. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a great horned owl years ago that was – someone was driving along the road and saw a pile of crows jumping up and down. And the person stopped. They went over to investigate, and who stops to see what's underneath a pile of crows? But we've had this happen a couple times where crows get after the great horned owls who are injured somehow, can't get away. The crows want a good night's sleep. They can't get the owl to go, so they beat them oh, up. Is that why they're trying to shoo the owl away because they're scared the owl's going to do something? Yes. Oh, I thought they're just being pain in the neck. Well, There's you a- know, <laughs> every crow is different. But- so we'll get back to that in a second because we do have a caller. Oh, uh, David from Brooklyn. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for your show. And uh, I, I, you find the most interesting subject. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that feedback. I like the uh, I like the chance to talk about Birdsaker and the chance to hear about Birdsaker because it's it's always been sort of a, a magical spot for me. Uh, I just wanted to share a little bit of my my memories more about the spot than about the uh, the birds, which I'm I'm very happy to hear more about because I know very little about the, uh, the actual. Uh, Biology of the thing, botany, no, biology. Uh, but the space, the Birdsacre place, you know, it, it it sort of snuck up on me slow because I, I couldn't really believe it was even there. You know, I would I would drive by and see the signs for it on the way rushing off to the other end of the road, and uh, uh, eventually. It, it made enough of an impression on me, so curiosity got the better of me, and I, I stopped and turned in, and it was it was like traveling back in time. It was a, just a, a what is this thing doing on you know on this in this place? Uh, the, and I, I turned around and, and you know realized that I had some conversations with the, the hawks and the owls, and and uh, later on. Uh, my wife and I uh, had the uh, the responsibility, and I, I guess I, I can say the honor of taking care of her uh, uncle, who was increasingly demented. And uh, one of the things, Alzheimer's, one of the things that he really liked to do was to go and look at the birds. He's always been really fascinated by birds all his life. We were able to take him to Birdsacre frequently. We'd go for a picnic, 
and, you know, travel around and look at what we could see. And uh, he was always so tickled by, the, you know, the chance to get that close to, to nature. And, it's a, you know, it was just a, a great resource for us as a, as a part of our, our community. And I wanted to, you know, thank you for for, for furnishing that. I, you know, I, I, I was aware of the big fire and having just experienced the big fire myself, it's, uh, it can be very devastating. And I, you know, I hope that things are put together again. The, the uncles moved on to other places, and I haven't been for a long time, but and I'm glad to hear the show, so I'll just shut up. Thank you. That's a great, great story because there's a lot of, a lot of people don't, um, don't realize it's there, but it's kind of a double-edged sword. You kind of don't want to be advertising so much because then it'll change the nature but then you mm. want people to know it's there um let's let's change we talked about rehab we can at the end of the show if we have more time we can talk more about the some of the rehab so i want to talk about the history um this was originally uh cordelia stanwood was the person who she was born there wasn't she yes and uh she grew up there she's quite quite a life oh yeah she's an amazing i was reading your your um uh, your website. It's just tell us a little bit about how she got there with the, the teaching, nervous breakdown, ornithologist, all kind of. Tell us a little bit about Cordelia. So she's the person that really started this whole thing. Well, a lot of people think that Cordy, uh, well, familiar, oh, Cordy, okay. Cordy uh, okay. had started Bird's Acre, but she didn't. There are two Bird's Acres. Okay. Uh, there's a Bird's Acre that the public knows today, which you have your public access and you have the ability to be uh, see the birds up close. But the first Bird's Acre was Cordy's home. She was born there in 1865, the year Lincoln was assassinated. And uh, she created the trails that you walk today so that she could study birds. She left when she was about 14 years old to go out of state, uh, go to a, a, a Providence High School, uh, received a good education, taught school for a while. But the demands of trying to survive on your own at that time were very difficult. She never married. Right. So yeah. she ended up with a nervous breakdown. Okay. That's why she taught for about 14 years, something like that. Yes. Uh, moving around quite a bit, always trying to improve herself. And uh, she came home at 40, moved back in with her parents, a uh, sea captain, and they didn't know what to do with her. She was a little off, and uh, it was bluebirds about the house in the springtime that brought her back outside and drew her out into nature. And from there, she developed a, a second career as a, an ornithologist. Self-taught. Self-taught. Which is uh, amazing. Filling in the, the gaps. She didn't find any new discoveries, but she corrected people on little things to the point where people in England were writing her. Uh, some of the top birders at the time, if they disagreed with Cordy, they would believe Cordy's experiences over their own. Wow which is pretty huge. And as I understand, those days, uh, ornithologists, correct me if I'm wrong, usually picked one particular species, but Cordy uh, studied everything. Yes. She studied the ecology, uh, and so she knew about a lot of different species of birds. She, at one time, she was uh, monitoring over 100 different nests. Wow. Uh, she was measuring the nests, uh, very highly scientific but also she had a little bit of a Thorovian bent, and so she had 50 years' worth of field note research. Her own book was never published, and as she got older into the you know, 40s and 50s, uh, college-educated people were starting to marginalize her 
uh, place in the bird world. So Why they, is that? Because she was a woman? Uh, well, just because their, the direction of research was changing. Ah. And they started incorporating her field notes as footnotes in their work. So uh, she ended up uh, – she had also – her field notes were very paramount. And at the end of her life, she donated them to the Ellsworth Library. My grandfather happened to start a bird club, and somehow the two of those – the field notes and the bird club connected. He thought that this is a great idea for a book and spoke to her briefly before she passed away. And she said, it's about time someone did something about me. <laughs> she After had 50 years. She had no idea that the property would be saved. That was one of her greatest fears that, you know, that forest would disappear. Yeah. It was down to 40 acres. Uh, and after she passed away, he thought, well, maybe we should protect this land for the future when that area was still very rustic in, uh, in homes surrounding Bird's Acre. So there was a local banker in town who said, Chandler, if you go after that property, I'll personally back you. And didn't even require a loan, just gave him money. Wow. Chandler paid the money back, and he said, well, you're going to need to have a first-year uh, startup fund. So let's turn this around again. So Bird's Acre started with $0.00 was able to preserve the land. Uh, 200 acres now, right? 200. Okay. Uh, and we really su- recently required, uh, acquired a little more land on the uh, southwest side. Okay. And so we have a new uh, trail network that's going to be developed. That's so, exciting. Yeah, it's beautiful back there. So uh, your grandfather was the banker? Uh, he No, he wasn't. You were related somehow to this whole, how this got started. I, I'm the grandson of the fa- founder. And the banker, Hervey Phillips, uh, was a, a friend of my grandfather's. Oh, okay. Okay. So the, the, the first bird's acre was just her home. Yes. And homestead. And, and later she um, – let's take a break. This is uh, – let's talk animals from aardvarks to zebras. Uh, Dr. John Hunt, your host at WERU 89.9. Please call for questions or sharing experiences. We're talking to Grayson Richmond uh, from Bird's Acre or the Stanwood Wildlife Sanctuary. So please call at 207-469-0500, 469-0500. If you have any questions, comments, stories. Uh, we're talking about um, a little bit about the history of Cordy Stanwood. She was a uh, 50 years of amazing naturalist, uh, mainly birds, ornithologist. But then when did she take up photography? Because that became a... Around 1916. So that was pretty early then. So she did a lot of picture taking while she was doing her yes. studies. Yes, uh, sort of like uh, John Audubon. She would take birds out of their nests, back to her house, photograph them, and then take them back to the nest. Yeah, not quite the thing you'd want to do, but uh, she wanted to. Uh, she was curious and investigative. The uh, she used her uh, in de- or her inheritance from her aunt uh, back in 1916 to purchase a. Kodak Eastman number five box camera fit for film, but she asked uh, Frank Chapman, a leader, leading ornithologist at the time, and he said, "Pick up this camera." She sent him money. He sent her a camera. Wow! But, but don't go film, go glass. So she used five by seven glass plates, and she was able to capture really intimate images of a warbler feeding a moth to its babies. You know, it's just. Jeez. It's just really. And she, and she a, developed them herself, too. Yes, yes. 
Uh, There were over 600 glass plates, which she, at the end of her life, donated to the Acadia National Park. And they treasured them so much, they put them in this closet. Uh, It it escaped the fire of 47. And then someone opened up the closet in the 80s and said, well, geez, these should go back to Birdsacre. So we were able to receive this uh, completely intact ornithological glass plate collection with uh, some old historic homes. She would also write to House Beautiful. She was writing uh, with 20 different magazines. Wow. Bird stories, but also uh, local stories of houses and homes. And uh, So we have a kind of an interesting collection. We have another caller, oh, Corey from Islesboro. Good morning, Corey. How are you? Good morning. Uh, actually, Islesburg. Islesburg. Okay. Yep. Um, my, my apologies. <laughs> uh, well, I was going back to uh, thinking about injured birds, and we uh, came upon an injured barred owl along the road one time, and um, we called another, uh, this was in southern Maine, and we called another uh, rehabilitation center, and unfortunately the bird didn't make it. It was a car strike. And what that person at that facility had told us was that often with the owls, they are uh, going for rodents that are running around the side of the road after food scraps that people are throwing out, like fruit and so on, seems to be a big cause. And uh, so that really made an impression on us, and we've changed our behavior. And no longer throw our banana peels and apple cores and things like that out onto the side of the road to uh, hopefully avoid something like that again. It was pretty disturbing to come upon, and we saw the bird, you know, come upon it, and it was really bloody and... um, yeah, it's not fun to come upon a bird like that in that position. So I just wanted to share that experience, and uh, maybe maybe someone else will change their behavior and help another owl survive. Thanks. Well, that's a wonderful comment. Uh, it is very important not to be baiting birds on the side of the road, uh, drawing a natural food source in. Uh, those are the usually the young owls, the weak owls that are excluded from the best choice sites out in the, the forest or fields by other owls. The young and old weak ones get pushed to the worst sites. And so they end up, you know, the road is a wonderful uh, air flyway. Unfortunately, it's a place for cars too. And they often do get hit. Uh, roadkill is another issue. You, If you saw a roadkill and you moved it off the road a little bit into the woods, that protects owls from going down to feed on it, crows, eagles, uh, other mammals. Uh, so that can be a very big issue as well. Only if it's safe. <laughs> to do that. Uh, before we talk to uh, Frank from Le Moyne, just wanted to add that this, um, I always thought if I threw a, I'm, gonna, this is, I'm, I'm admitting my, uh, Corey's got a good point here because <laughs> I would throw an apple core out thinking it's a biodegradable. Well, it yes. is, but now I'm thinking too. I'm baiting animals that could get hit. So, Corey, thank you very much for changing me. You changed me and my habits. Um, so no more biodegradable out the window. It's going to be in the bag and let the car smell like a banana. <laughs> Who cares? So we have Frank from Lemoyne. Hello, yeah, Frank. Hi. How are you? Good. It's funny. We were just talking. Me and a buddy we were just talking about bird taker yesterday. But his grandmother used to hang out with the woman there that we were t- you were talking about, I believe. Anyways. How big is Bird's Acre? I know that I heard that the Frenchman's Bay Conservancy, I think, or somebody did, kicked in some money and you bought more property. 
that's going to join the Jordan Farm and be one big corridor all the way from Birdsacre down to the river. Is that correct? Yes, uh, it's it's a wonderful opportunity. Essentially, High Street, uh, Birdsacre exists between High Street and the Bayside Road. Yes, uh, we have a we're basically hemmed in by development. Yes, but we you will. Uh, Birdsacre is a pretty quiet spot. You're right. For some reason, all the years I've lived around here. I've only been there like one time, which is kind of, anyways. Um, so how do you raise, I mean, when, what's your fundraising uh, situation here? I mean, most people, you know, since we're in the state of the nonprofit, we have lots of people that send you mailing all the time looking for money, which I donate to stuff like Frenchman's Bacon's other wonderful land-based things. Well, I'm not patting myself in the bath. I'm asking you, why don't you all send that stuff? Uh, well, if you would like to receive our annual letter, uh, you could visit Birdsacre again uh, or, you know, send us an email, birdsacre at hotmail.com. Uh, what we do is we, we send out an annual letter to let you know what we've done throughout the year. And uh, we also have a donation box on site. And right. those are our two means of uh, trying to fund what we do. Yeah, but as you mentioned, which I think is a, which is a good philosophy. You're not trying to, you know, suck everybody heading for Acadia National Park in there and turn it into a uh, Disney World of the bird world of down East Maine, which I agree with. I think that's a bad idea. And that was your philosophy, too. I heard you said that a while ago. You like the way, you know, you, you like some funding, but you don't want to turn it into a ride the Ferris wheel with the birds. <laughs> no way, right? Just, I, I agree with you, Frank. It's uh, It's really kept its... Say it's really, I mean, I, I, sometimes it amazes me when my kid was little, I never really took I didn't, I don't, it doesn't stand out very well, let's put it that way. We, we like to blend in. We've resisted the idea of trying to grow. Maybe you ought to open a restaurant out front or an oil station. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to hang up. Okay, right. Frank, thank you. We have another caller, Connie from Frankfort. Good morning, Connie. Hi, John, this is Connie, and I... I've been on your show before, but I did have a few uh, nice things to say about Birdsacre. Um, I've been there with over the years with groups of kids from schools I worked at. And one time I was there, I won a, a copy of the six little ch- is it six or five little chickadees. Yes. And I was able to uh, modify that just a little bit to use with some readers that were having difficulty, and they enjoyed it. Oh, wonderful! And and the other thing was that I always appreciate that spot because it's. Uh, so close to in in town and easy to get to but once you get there you feel like you're you know out in the woods and so it's just i just have appreciated the spot and also going looking around the house and hearing more about cordy so this is just a complimentary call oh well thank you thank you Connie. yes uh homing pigeons right yeah (laughs) yeah that was a great show we had we had a good time a lot of people trying to figure out that math problem (laughs) thank you connie uh so funding uh, you have uh, Cordy Day. Is yes. that a fundraiser or that's just something to celebrate Cordy? It, it's something to celebrate Cordy, and it's a way for us to thank the community for supporting us. So we have a, a barbecue at noontime. We have a little music, uh, maybe a treasure hunt or a scavenger hunt for the kids, and it bring out some of the educational birds uh, for them to be able to meet the, the public uh, it's a little different to have a bird close to you instead of having it within its enclosure. There's the uh, that proximity causes people to you know a little intimacy to, to develop, and a little bit of uh, you, you want to be on your best behavior. 
uh, not to upset the bird. But it's uh, it, it's something we do every year, and it's based on the year the Cordy's birthday. Birthday August first, is it? Well, it it's uh, sure? she was. We don't know. Oh. <laughs> uh, she was born so close to midnight between July and August. Oh, I read that. Yeah. The, uh, so every year we we try to pick the Saturday that's closest to either the end of July or the beginning of August. I did reading the history. There's a lot of community volunteers, uh, community support when we, when the uh, house burned in mm-hmm. 2014, the, the, the fire, is at the beginning of the Birds Acre Phoenix Fund. Yes. And can you tell us about that? Tell us about the fire. It was uh, awful. It was. It was an arson, right? Tell, tell us about that. Yes, the, well, it's it was uh, mind numbing. You in surreal. You don't realize what's happening. You don't believe it. And uh, when I got the call that the house is on fire, you you race over and you're helpless, sitting in a snowbank outside, watching and thinking about the treasures inside that are about to vanish forever. And the, the fire department was amazing. They saved the building. They saved the treasures. But her room was was hit hard. I understand. Yes, her room was essentially gutted. Wow! And it, it was it was completely charred. Very strange things happened in there. Uh, there was a book on her desk that Frank Chapman had written with a question mark that was red. What is a bird? The book turned into ash, and you blew the ash off, and the question mark in the ink had burned into the desk. Wow! Uh, you know, v- very surreal. Yeah. Uh, yet we were still able to save a lot of items uh, from her room. Her field notes survived, and they were in that room. How could it possibly? Because they weren't in any metal container, were they? No, they were in uh, archival binders. Wow. And you had uh, not only the community came to help with reconstruction, but you had pretty well-known and uh, very qualified people like the curator from Bar Harbor Ab Museum? Oh, yes, the Ab and, Museum. Yeah, and Jackson Lab. Uh, I mean, this is amazing, this this quiet, unassuming place. A lot of people know about it. It, it was it was quite heartening when I read about the kind of support that came after this fire. Is there any more you can add about that? Well, we felt the same way. You, you often, uh, because you blend into an environment, you do feel sort of overlooked at times. And it, it, you have to remind yourself how well-loved you are by the footprints in the driveway. But at that moment when you needed help, uh, you know, Josh Torrance of the Woodlawn Museum called up. Uh, we were getting all these calls. We had probably more offers of help than we could actually handle due to the intimacy and the dangerous situation. Uh, every step you took in that house at that time was over broken glass, ashes, and artifacts. So you didn't know if you were stepping on something and causing more damage uh, so it, and it was it was cold. Uh, yeah. It was in March. Everything was frozen. Of course, was, water damage. Yeah. Well, the, damage. the the water was mitigated by the ice. Oh, okay. So that kind of helped prevent the soaking in. Yeah, you chip out the ice and uh, you know, the house. But then the house is entirely black. Uh, you have to hand scrub every inch of a house to clean it. So how does it look today? It looks great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We we still have to do a little wallpapering. So if anyone loves wallpapering, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who, must be someone out there, but don't look at me, Grayson. <laughs> you, you get, I'll get all screwed up. Uh, is the Phoenix Fund still going to, because there's more work to be done on the house? Y- yes, it, the uh, Phoenix Fund is part of the Bangor Savings Bank. So if anyone would like to donate, they could either donate to Birdsacre, uh, the mailbox, 
PO Box 485, which you could find on our website, but also uh, just sending it down to the Bangor Savings Bird's Acre Care of the Phoenix Fund. Uh, and there is more to do with the restoration efforts. We're Every year we get closer to completion, but the house is open now. For, it is open to the public. Yes. Because okay. uh, it was opened bef- for years until this fire came, um, which is the neat thing about Bird's Acre is that we have this historic house, a homestead, which represents the 1800s, uh, as well as a fantastic nature conservancy in terms of uh, trails and stuff. Hopefully we'll get time to talk about that. And, of course, your rehab and animals. Uh, besides the donations, per, private donations and the Phoenix Fund, that's basically how you're surviving? Yes. So you must have some really dedicated people to that donate regularly. We depend on it's. It doesn't matter how much you send. Everything matters. And 100% goes to the organization. Yeah, that's uh, nice. That's nice to know because sometimes it doesn't happen. No, I, I mean, I work a second job to be able to stay there and do what I want to do. And yeah. uh, our, our goal is always to be able to fulfill what we do as best we can. So I, I see a lot of room for improvement. Uh, it's just trying to get there and maintain what, what we are, simple and intimate. And you have uh, groups like scouts and schools. Uh, I know one school had to do with the tri-level deck on the Nature Center, the Knowlton School, second grade, did something about what's, – what's that about? Well, if, if you have a problem and you need an inventive solution, you just ask a kid. <laughs> That's true. And, That's true. You know, we were building the Nature Center. We wondered how to you know, best make a, a back deck and uh, make it handicap accessible, interesting – uh, when you're back there, it feels like you're up in, in the trees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they came up with this wonderful idea. That's that's amazing. And uh, tell me a little bit about the Master Gardener Volunteers. Who are they? Uh, well, they're a local organization, and they do a lot of uh, site work within Hancock County. And they were instrumental in uh, creating the boardwalk out back behind the Nature Center, uh, which is a sort of a quick survey. It's a the microcosm of the macrocosm. So you can see what Bird's Acre is in a very uh, short walk through a couple different types of ecosystems. And, you know, they, they take care of that or took care of that area uh, and also other spots around the sanctuary. Uh, other organizations have been very generous in coming in and, and helping clear trails or uh, do little projects. Uh, Ellsworth Garden Club it was very nice to us last year helping clean up uh, the Annie Reich pool which you know just looks amazing and uh, we got not one waterfall but two waterfalls out of it so that's that, cool yeah yeah uh, at the time there was a drought so we didn't know what was going to happen but <laughs> you didn't see the waterfalling no <laughs> how about any eagle scout projects did you, have, did you ever have eagle oh, scouts yes yes uh, that would be a great source that's a great it's natural source for uh, the eagle scout to do a project at uh, one project last or a couple of years ago was working in the homestead and cleaning out the parlor and uh, renovating that. Uh, so the Eagle Scout came in, brought all these other scouts, got them involved. They did a little fundraising for the uh, for the work and and did the scrubbing themselves, cleaned the piano. Uh, you know, major effort. Uh, other Eagle Scouts have worked on structures, enclosures for the birds. Uh, so it's a 
you know, it's a nice history. It's a nice, and a nice collaboration. That is heartwarming. Uh, this is uh, Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host. We're talking to Grayson Richmond. The, are you a curator? What's your uh, caretaker? Caretaker <laughs> of uh, the Birdsacre or the Sandwood um, Wildlife Sanctuary. Is that what you call it? Is it would you just say Birdsacre or Sandwood Wildlife Sanctuary? What, what's your name? <laughs> it's uh, whatever you'd like to say. Birdsacre is shorter. Most people locally say Birdsacre. Yes. Uh, the Stanwood is our official name. Okay. If you have any questions, uh, 207-469-0500. We're live, 207-469-0500. And we're kind of crisscrossing nature, history. Uh, I want to talk about the nature trails. Uh, there's – you have 200 acres. Now, how many acres is the new um, the new parcel? Well, it's uh, – we have a – we picked up a – we've had a couple different additions in the past decade or so. And just a couple acres, up to six on the backside. And, you know, it, it encompasses this beautiful ravine and there are uh. these moss beds. Uh, you feel like you're off in a, you know, another planet. Like a primordial. Well, people do occasionally get lost out there. <laughs> and, but Let's you, not talk about that. Let's... Rest assured you can find your way back to Elser. Yes. Just keep walking. Yeah, yeah, you'll get to a, an apartment or something. <laughs> How much land from your from the edge of of bird's acre is there how much more land is there out there can you can if you had a, a billionaire come and just say we'll just buy oh, well I, are I things think starting to encroach upon you we, we are pretty much surrounded if you were to walk uh towards the the new jackson lab facility mm. the old lowe's plant uh you walk up towards herple pond you keep walking a little bit onto trails we're working on creating and out of the woods, you come across a large concrete wall, which, you know, creates the elevation for the, the parking lot in that facility. But it's... That's it. Or if you walk out in the backside past uh, Harriet Pond and you keep walking on the white trail, you'll come across the uh, Ellsworth uh, wastewater treatment plant. Oh. <laughs> so all of a sudden you see beautiful green in this nice new building so that you get the sense of, uh, you know, here's civilization, here's undeveloped nature. And how precious that is. Yeah. Uh, because you can get, you, know, you will be out there and you won't hear uh, modern sounds. And then, so you can't, so it's large enough so you can't hear the traffic on Route 3. Yeah. Uh, you can see the reaction uh, when people pull into the driveway at that, that old dirt drive. Right. There's a sense of relaxation and slowing down that uh, we don't do enough. It is also, it's almost like a tunnel when you go, last time I was there. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great place to bring your dogs. Maybe. I was going to ask about dogs and bikes, uh, pets. Our trails. I wasn't are, quite sure what your policy uh, is with pets. Dogs are great. Leashed. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Voice command. If if you got a good dog, uh, you know certainly scoop the poop and you know be attentive if the birds are becoming a little concerned. Uh, you know, even a chihuahua still reminds a a hawk that that's a relative of a wolf. <laughs> they, they always get a little yeah cautious around them but yeah uh you know walking through is fine and you know it's a great place for the dogs but no bikes no uh our trails are a little too soft for the bikes yeah we've had them rutted up before uh hopefully that could change in the future you know with a little funding make it a, the, the trails a, little, a better base at least some trails for the bikes yeah uh any other restrictions on the trails no. Basically, you can walk. Yeah. Daylight, uh, sunrise to sunset. That's 
Got to find all your year round. <laughs> all year round. Yeah. Even uh, though you're not there, you can still just walk in. It's all free, no admission. Funded by donation. Have a little yeah. uh, donation box. But uh, some of the best times to be there are the worst times. Yeah. I have to go in and feed up every day. So if it's snowing, I go in. And it, it can be a very dramatic. Ice storm, beautiful. Hack your way in, hack your way out. Uh, deluges. Or it's amazing to watch the water flow. Yeah, I bet. Especially like March. Uh, so I want to get to the trails, but I'm divert a little bit. To the number, you have a number of animals that are permanent residents because they can't be released. Yes. Uh, and they are in uh, structures that are near the house, right? How many do you have now? Who do you have? And kind of what's, what's the dynamic of that? Well, uh, roughly two dozen. Uh, just like lot. your birth, it is a lot. It's a, a lot to care for and a lot to, to feed. Uh, they're sort of resembling a representative of the rehabilitation program, not that we're trying to collect something, but these are the birds that were brought to us that were not able to be released but are healthy enough to survive mm-hmm. and could lead a second life in a different way. Uh, there is a restriction on numbers that you cannot possess more than four species, four Individuals of a species. Of one species, because like you can't have four barred owl, owls, or right. four owls. You can have you can have four barred owls, uh, but you know years back, you know back in the eighties, you know we might have had six, yeah, or or more. And one of the benefits of that is you see not only different injuries, but also you see that an owl is not just an owl; there are individual features to each owl. You can see them in the eyes, in the way they posture, how they hold their feathers. Everyone, each one becomes its own special uh, character. And they can live 20, 25 years? Yeah, 25, 30. Uh, you know, just like us, we don't know, but uh, they can live quite a long time. The larger you are, the longer you might be able to live in the owl world. So the cute owls usually steal our heart and go away. Faster than we would wish. The the larger owls, the great horns, can live a very long time. Uh, and you know what you see today, uh, people just see what is there. My experiences, I have decades of birds that I've known that have been there through time. And uh, there's a great horn, horned owl that was brought to us uh, the year after I was born, uh, back in 1976. It's not stinky, is it? No, no. Stinky's another story. No, stinky's uh, yeah. Uh, this was Thor, and, Thor okay. and she was our matriarch for a number of years. She, it, and you remember Thor in your childhood? Oh, vi- vividly! Oh, wow, that's uh, cool. It, terrifyingly, <laughs> you know, and yeah, you know, she was, she's impressive. Even as an adult, I respected her. Uh, but you know, you see a lot of interaction between the individual birds as well. Uh, they may not do much, and then suddenly they do something, and it's very significant. So you see seasonal patterns. Uh, Do you keep um, similar species in one? Uh, yes, and individuals. You word cage, but uh, well, we had a Netto was a, a one-eyed great horned owl, very docile, gentle and sweet. Uh, everybody loved her, so we tried moving her over to uh, Thor's house. Two great horned owls. Well, Thor didn't like her, <laughs> so she had to go back. Uh, it didn't take long for you to find out that Thor didn't like her. No, no. <laughs> uh, you either get along with Thor or you don't. Uh, there was a great horned owl that was brought to us uh, trying to find a home. And so this, this owl fell out of her nest in Massachusetts and broke her shoulder. 
you know, never knew how to fly. And so after getting the paperwork, she was brought up, and we put her in the house. And she was a very aggressive baby, great horned owl. Thor looks at her, new owl in my house. She hops down off her perch and starts hooting at her, looking, focusing directly on the baby and starts walking over to her. Whoa. So I grab this little bamboo rake thinking well, I may have to intercede. The baby hunkers down and gets very quiet and its eyes get very large. And Thor continuously is hooting and walking very slowly over to the baby. She gets right up onto the baby and her mouth opens up and she grabs the feathers on the baby's head. And there's this pause. Everybody's holding their breath. And then she starts preening the feathers. And the two of them were a mother-daughter foster relationship. Wow. Uh, And as Thor got older and the baby became more assertive, she never challenged Thor. Thor was always in charge, no matter how low she went down on her perching pole. Jeez. That is amazing. Uh, So who do you have? Do you have owls, hawks? Uh, uh, Great horned owls, barred owls, sawwood owls, red-tailed hawks, broadwing hawks, uh, a little merlin. Uh, we have some Canada geese. There's always a How goose. turkeys? Any turkeys? Uh, no, no turkeys. <laughs> I guess turkeys <laughs> are on the dinner table if they get hurt. <laughs> well, not our dinner table. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> but the – and you have to be careful. You don't want to collect. You want to get good individuals that have an educational benefit, uh, you, which is difficult at times to make a decision. But, uh, you know, there's only so much you can care for because everybody take, needs a house. Yeah. And those houses have guidelines and they need to be a certain size and a certain expense. We have a couple – well, we do have turkey vultures. Oh, you do? Yeah. Uh, and we recently received a, uh imprinted turkey vulture and an imprinted black vulture. And these guys are very strange because they were imprinted at an early age. They think they're people and they can't recognize or interact with their species naturally. Uh this actually happened to a, a barred owl in Blue Hill once. And, you know, the lady thought you know, when he grew up, he wanted to mate. So he chose a human, thinking he was a human. The girl loved it that there was this owl outside her house every day, or her totem bird, until she tried to have a boy over for a dinner date. That owl recognized competition. <laughs> and he would shut that down. He flew and drove the boy back in the car. She could never get a date. Uh, it had to be removed eventually because, you know, he gets into trouble. Wow. But, Didn't know uh, owls could do that. Well, at a young age, it doesn't – there's a, a timeline. It doesn't happen often, but imprinting is you know, different than taming yes. or habituation. But, yeah. Uh, well, besides the, the, uh, the trails, we have about five minutes left. So whoever wants to call at 469-0500, call now because we only have a couple, couple more minutes. Uh, you – your dad uh, developed in 1997 Woodland Gardens for Handicap. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Well, that is down back behind the Nature Center, and it has uh, the, the boardwalk that runs through it, and behind that is a crushed stone path. So it's a, a more expansive handicap-accessible path uh, that you know offers a little more uh, time in the woods and you know, different terrain, but uh, it, it shows different features. Uh, in different five habitats yes okay and it's a board there's a boardwalk there for easy access i think that's 
It's fabulous. Oh, it's great for everybody because the, the kind of trails that are out in Maine woods, you can't mm. if you have difficulty walking or in a wheelchair, you can't do it. It's, but, it's almost impossible. Even if you are taking small steps and you're getting older, there are railings on both sides. Uh, there are benches within the boardwalk, so it's a it's a great place to get exercise. And also, you have not only the homestead, um, but you also have a, a nature center. Yes. And that where's that located? Uh, down through the orchard. Uh, everything's very close in proximity to the parking lot. Uh, so, you know, the most common question is, where's the bathroom? <laughs> That's where it is. Yep. <laughs> Instead of pointing to a tree. We're not, you're not that natural. Yet. Okay. Uh, and who built the nature center? Uh, well, that was done, I think, back in 1994 by the Boggy Brook Group. Uh, we had Vocational? Yeah, vocational. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Uh, that is that's unbelievable. So vocational kids came and and for a credit, they got uh, they, built they a got nature center. The nature center. So you have the nature center, the homestead trails, and your and your um, enclosures. Enclosure, enclosure. I'm trying trying to think of the name. Enclosures. So a lot to see. Uh, your uh, trails are there's a lot of them. Um, I think we're gonna have time to go over them, but uh, things like. Um, there's a pond. There's a pontoon on a bog, Stevenson pontoon bog walkway, yes. apple orchard, Pinkham Path. That is that for handicap as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, Queen Throne. Uh, got two minutes. Can you just give us a little bit about some of the nature trails. Got one minute to do that. Well, Cordy was able to uh, interconnect her trails so she could hop from one spot to the next to be able to study the birds quickly. And these favorite spots are you know are along the trail. So the Queen's Throne was one of her favorites. So, you know, large rock with uh, this great white pine growing out of it, where she'd go and listen to the hermit thrushes in the evening. And, uh, you know, it's it's a wonderful place because you can, there's a variety of ways you can walk the trails. You never have to walk it in the same direction or use the same paths. You can hopscotch all over the place. Yeah, they're all intertwined and looped, and so you can kind of go from one trail to the next. Yeah. Uh, all that, there's a nice map. Uh, go to the website. Go to Birdsacre. Don't go to the website. It's just the <laughs> website. That's not – that doesn't count. That doesn't count, guys. So go to Birdsacre. Enjoy the history, the nature, the woods, the animals. Uh, say hi to Grayson because he's going to be there. Uh, Grayson Richmond from Birdsacre. It's been a real pleasure. It's, it's just an outstanding uh, little pearl that we have in Ellsworth. I think that's just a wonderful thing. Keep it up. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And this is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. We'll see you next month. I think we're going to talk about uh, endangered bumblebees. be kind of interesting. So please enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. beats a feast of Maine mussels, clams, scallops, or oysters. These shellfish are an important part of our coastal economy and